God is good. All the time. All right, got a little responsive thing to kind of get us started today. First of all, I'm going to preach on a topic I've never preached on before uh, exclusively. So this is kind of new for me. And the second thing is we got a little responsive thing going here. So when I go like this, I want you to say thank you. Let's try it. All right, so here we go. I'm going to work you really hard today. Think nothing of it. (laughs) Spring, 1981, 82, you get old. I'm on a baseball college trip through Georgia. I return home with a monster case of mononucleosis. I was on the isolated down and out tour. Now, I got to tell you, when I was growing up, nobody really was isolated unless you had mononucleosis. And then it was sort of like anytime anybody came within 50 yards of you, you had to yell unclean, just like lepers in the New Testament. Deep in people's hearts, they really didn't want to talk to you on the phone either. Got a monster case. It was during that period that I fully embraced Christ. I had to grow into it. And I don't always know how to talk about it because when I was seven years old, I did ask Jesus into my heart and repented of all my dastardly ways. You guys know what I'm talking about. But it was at this point in my life that I made a very different kind of commitment. When I began to let that commitment impact the way I lived, my social circle began to change. I went from the only Christian in my social circle to a Christian social circle. And slowly I discovered that the Jesus I shared in common with my new believing friends gave me more in common with them than the affinities I shared with my non-believing friends. You see, I've decided there's really only two kinds of people as a Christian that we invite into our lives. There's those that pull us away from Christ and those that lead us toward Christ. And I chose to be with those who led me toward Christ. Soon, Melissa and I began to get involved. We started a band, uh, and we began to play all over southern Illinois. We named our band El Shaddai because it was a Hebrew word, and we thought it sounded cool. In reality, El Shaddai means God. We named our band God, but we had no idea what we were doing. God the band. Terrible. <laughs> then we started a Bible study for people our age. We had some friends who were much, much older. They must have been like 30. And uh, they let us meet in their huge furnished basement. And I had some leadership ability, I guess, and started this thing and, and started to lead. And we had a whole lot of people come in, and God was doing some pretty cool things. And, and then after a while, you know, you start getting a little pushback. People, not all people, thought I was a great leader, mainly because I wasn't a great leader. And, uh, you know, and, and then you kind of, yeah, you know, I'm giving all of my time and I'm putting all this effort in and people don't appreciate it. Wah, wah, wah. And I had a choice. I can either do what God asked me to do or I can just take my Bible and go home. And I decided just to stick it out. And guess what I found? 
Some of the people who were complaining against me, I thought it was the devil. As it all turns out, I was just an idiot. <laughs> and I grew. I grew in that Christian community. You see, they were more than just casual friends I played baseball with. They, they were more than just the friends you hung out with on weekends. They were fellow Christians to grow with. It's a very different thing. Were there growing pains? Oh boy, were there growing pains. But there was growth for all of us. Jerusalem, third decade of the first century, Jesus of Nazareth had been crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Pentecost had arrived. The Holy Spirit floods down on the only 120 Christians in the world. These Christians are supernaturally gifted to carry on the ministry of Christ. And then Peter spills onto the street, preaches under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. 3,000 people are added to the church that day. The centering text we're using for this, the Acts 8 series, offers a snapshot of this effective, growing, unified, and empowered church. The early church was formed around four practices and eight characteristics. And I, I want to suggest that a healthy, spirit-filled church today is still going to be formed around those four practices and those eight characteristics. So let's lean in. Acts 2, verse 42, they, the 3,000, joined with the other believers, the 120, and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and sharing in communion and prayer. So this is what they did. So what did the early church do? They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They fellowshiped with each other. They shared communion and they spent time in prayer. Those were the practices of that early church. We also get eight characteristics. And those eight characteristics are what we're calling the Acts 8 for the sermon series. The first week of this series, I, I talked about wonder. And awe came over them all. Guys, we need to live in the wonder of God. We serve a mighty God. I love the song that says, I stand in awe of you. The hymn, How Great Thou Art. That is our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve a mighty God who takes our breath away. Last week I talked about miracles. It says the apostles performed many signs and wonders. Last week I put some green stones out. And at the end of the message, I said, if you need a miracle in your life right now, I'm going to ask you to grab one of the green stones, take it home with you, and when you see it, let it be a reminder to you to pray for that miracle. And then when God answers your prayer, in however God answers that prayer, but when that miracle comes, I want you to bring that stone back and put it in this jar, and this jar becomes what the Old Testament calls an Ebenezer, a monument to the greatness of God. And we're just going to fill this jar up. Now, I know we've done some stones in the past, but my old jar got full. And then it crashed down in the flood that hit my office. And we've got a new jar. And I, incidentally, the old jar's 
absolutely crashed, but we bought a brand new jar. We cleaned all those stones up. Your stones are in a different Ebenezer. Satan thought he destroyed one Ebenezer, so we're just going to erect two. So we've got a jar here. You say, okay, this is a miracle jar. Let me tell you what happened today. This was a stone we got a long time ago. And somebody walked up to me just before the service and said, God has done a miracle in my life. We gave this stone out quite a while ago. And somebody said, God has healed me. And I'm two years cancer free. Praise God. And somebody brought this stone. And they stuck it in my hand. And they gave it to me. And it represented something God did in their family. And this morning when I walked into the office, there was a message, not signed, a message in my mailbox. And it reads, Pastor Shane, I did not expect my miracle to be answered so quickly, but it was. I have a place to live for another year. God is good. Miracles come in a lot of ways to a lot of people. We serve a miracle working God. And the thing that struck me this week, first of all, if you need a miracle in your life, come, come and get a stone. But the other thing that struck me is some people need multiple miracles to happen in their life. Can I hear an amen from somebody? I mean, you've got a multiple miracle kind of situation that you need in your life. I'm going to suggest you get a stone for every miracle that you need in your life. And you hold those before the Lord. And when God answers your prayers, no matter how God answers them, bring those stones back. And let's celebrate what God has done and what God is doing and that we serve a miracle working God. Today we're going to talk about fellowship. Next week, generosity, followed by worship, then communion, then a good reputation, and then growth. Reverend Carmen's going to do one of those messages. Reverend Mike's going to do one, and I'm going to do the rest. So that's what we have coming up in this series. Today we're going to talk about fellowship. My dad has the best definition for fellowship in the history of the world. A bunch of fellas in the same ship. If you are in the same ship with someone, you are going to the same destination. We are people who are going to the same destination. And what God does on that ship, and isn't it interesting, the old timers, the gospel singers, they used to sing about the old gospel ship. What God does on that ship is part of how God shapes us into the image of Christ. One of the earliest visions for Christ Church has to do with our cafe and our bookstore. If you're our guest for the first time, right outside, if you just walk through, we've got a cafe and a bookstore. Our executive director, Alan Press, championed the notion of not just serving coffee and donuts like churches did back then, but actually investing in a first-class cafe that had delicious baked goods, Sunday morning breakfast items, including biscuits and gravy. And Wednesday night items for supper so that people who come to our Wednesday night service won't have to worry about eating on their way home from work. Why? Well, we've been talking about this sociological concept of a third place. And here, here's the concept. We all, most of us have a first place, and that's home. And then we have a second place, and that's work. Everybody else competes for the third place. Everybody competes for a share of the third place in people's lives. So the reality is that restaurants, bars, sporting events, movie theaters, entertainment venues, cultural events all compete for people's third place. 
Alan had a vision that went well beyond attending a worship service or a class. His vision involved people coming early and staying late. His vision involved parents taking a breath after the kids are dropped off and getting a really good cup of coffee. And if you have fancy coffee, you may have to wait on it a bit, but it's going to be really good. He envisioned people making new friends. A place where people could catch up with old friends. He envisioned people gathered around tables with a scone and just sharing some time together before and after church. I love seeing grandparents and their grandchildren here. It's one of my biggest joys. Did you know every week we have four generations of bishops in this church? It's, it's a joy to me. We're an intergenerational church, and that's probably the single most challenging thing to do in the whole world is to be an intergenerational church. Because if you haven't noticed, the, the great-grandkids and the great-grandparents seldom want to go to the same restaurant. But you know what? I tell people all the time, we, we can't compete with churches that, for 21-year-olds, with churches that are only geared to reach 21-year-olds. We, we can't compete with that. And we can't compete with churches for 80-year-olds that are completely geared for 80-year-olds. But if you want an intergenerational church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and you want a place that you can have your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids rise up in this wonderful Christian faith, I don't think anybody does it better than Christ Church. And a part of that is fellowship. When I see family groups together, I often ask them, do, do you all know each other? And they'll laugh. You see, church is not an event we attend. It's a community to which we belong. All of the Acts 8, of all of those, fellowship is the only element that's also mentioned in the four practices. And of the eight characteristics, you have to work pretty hard not to deal with it twice. It's that important. I think fellowship is the most underrated of all of the gifts God has given us to shape us into true Christian people. Earlier this year, I released a trail guide through invite resources that covers every verse in 1 Peter. Next week, 2 Peter is going to come out. 1 Peter was written to a church suffering persecution at the hands of Rome. And one of the defining claims of the book is that true Christian fellowship is a defense against external persecution. So what I'm going to say is, the harder things get for Christians out there, the more we have to have our act together in here. And that is a matter of fellowship. As we enter chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he's instructing Christians in the house of creating a healthy Christian community. Amidst a hostile prevailing culture. This subculture is going to look normal from the outside, but it's going to be revolutionary on the inside. In the church, we do things differently than they do in the world. So here's what Paul has to say. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, you should all be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted. And keep a humble attitude. 
Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. The book of 1 Peter teaches the church how to be the church. You want to know why so many churches are dysfunctional? Because they operate just like the world does, and nobody teaches them how to operate in a Christian manner. The Bible has many places, and 1 Peter is all about how to construct a healthy church. So what I want to do now is look at those eight things. If you're taking notes, it's going to be the greatest sermon you've ever heard. So we're going to have eight things right here. These are eight characteristics of a healthy church. In a healthy church, people will, number one, be of one mind. You can't go six directions at once. Churches can't do everything. And part of realizing you can't do everything is saying, we're only going to do what God's called us to do, and we're not going to do a whole lot of other things. Our mission here is to connect people with Jesus Christ. This gives us unity of purpose. It offers a filter for every single decision we make. We have people come up constantly and say, we would want, like to do this or this, or why don't you do this or that? And, and our question is, explain to us how that connects people with Jesus Christ. Explain to us. Because that's all we do here. That's all we do here. That is our filter. We must be of one mind. Number two, we must show empathy for one another. Empathy just means you have the emotional capacity to at least walk a few feet in somebody else's shoes before you get all over them. Empathy does not require that you completely understand their position. You may not. It is not, certainly does not require that you agree with them. You may very well not. It, it does not require that you condone their actions. It just means that you have the capacity to care about them. It doesn't mean we don't make strong biblical stands. It just says that we do it in love. Our mantra here is biblical truth in Christian love. So if you don't want to stand in biblical truth, we're not going to be the church for you. But if you want to be ugly about it, we're not going to be the church for you either. Empathy. Number two, or three, love on one another. Phileo, it's a Greek word translated love, but it's brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. New Testament love between people in a church is not a feeling. It's not based on affinity. It's based on the commonness of Christ in our hearts, and it is an act of will. We choose to love each other. You say, well, some people are really hard to love. No, duh. <laughs> and we're supposed to love them anyway. And sometimes that's how you know Jesus is doing something in your heart because you're able to love somebody there's not a shot you could have loved otherwise. It's an act of will. Love one another. Number four, show compassion. Passion is just having genuine care and concern for people. It's just caring about them. It's not empathy. It's also just caring about their souls. I was told many years ago that when you become a Christian, the one thing you can never tell somebody is go to hell. And I thought, well, that makes some sense. Because we must always care about the souls of other people. Our heart has to be that they go to heaven. 
And a part of that is just having compassion for their souls. Number five, be humble. Humility is is not a synonym. Biblically, it's not a synonym of self-loathing or self-hatred. It's certainly not a synonym of low self-esteem. A lot of people just feel bad about themselves all the time, and they've decided they have the gift of humility. Flag. Humility, in a biblical sense, means that we understand that anything good we have in our life was given to us by God. And we understand that anything we have achieved in our life was made possible. And those opportunities were made possible by the sacrifices of other people. And it's an understanding that any success we have in our life has been brought to us because other people have participated in that with us. It's just living your life not thinking you're all that in a bag of communion wafers. It's realizing that we're really blessed. We're really blessed. Be humble. Number six, don't repay evil for evil. Did you know people are going to do bad stuff to you? Is anyone aware of that? What what he's saying here is, is don't pay them back. Let me tell you what the problem is about repaying evil for evil. You'll never find a place to stop and it will end up destroying you. I know people have had bad stuff happen to them. It was not their fault at all. But because they kept returning evil for evil, it ended up destroying them. Don't repay evil for evil. You're never going to find a place to stop. You'll end up like the Hatfields and McCoys. Where you just hate people and you're not even sure why. Don't repay evil for evil. Number seven, don't repay slander for slander. The former denotes actions and the latter denotes words. I've got to tell you, as a pastor, a shocking amount of what people say behind my back gets back to me. Some people consider that to be their ministry. (laughs) One of the things I learned early as a pastor, if I can't love people who may have said bad things about me, there's not going to be a whole lot of people left to love. My choice is to let it go. My choice is to behave honorably, to try to put God first, And if people want to talk bad about me, I'm just going to have to let it go. Just going to let it go. There's nothing I can do about it. My dad taught me when I was little, he who throws dirt loses ground. And I've sure seen that happen a lot. And sometimes, my friends, you just got to let a floating hunk of stupid just drift right down the river. Just let it go. Somebody said something about you. Okay. Might have been true, might not have been true. They might have said it. They might not have said it. You ever get mad at somebody for something you found out they didn't do later? There's a steady diet of crow coming your way. But maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But the second you hear about that, you have a choice. You can dwell on it. You can decide you're going to get them back. Or you can just let it go. Some things you can't let go, right? Some things need to be addressed. Boy, most things, you certainly let them go. Don't repay slander for slander. And the final one is bless those who curse you. You say, how in the world can you do that? We can't, apart from the power of God. We can't. I tell people that want to go into ministry, they need a clear call. They need a Holy Ghost skill set. They need a warm heart and the hide of a rhinoceros. 
Because you're always going to have to choose the high road. Christian friends, stuff's going to happen. People are going to do things bad to you. And they're going to say bad things about you. And you're going to have to choose the high road anyway. Why? Because Christ lives in our heart. And because the Bible asks us to do just that. Bless those who curse you. I'm always going to choose the high road. First thing I discovered early was that it's never very crowded. And the second thing I learned is the view is always wonderful. Choose the high road. Now Christian growth has an internal and an external aspect. A lot of times when we think we want to grow in Christ, we think, okay, well, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to get more involved. Yeah, yeah, all, all that, all that is good. That's internal stuff. I'm going to read the Bible through with you. We're, we're reading the, Bible, the New Testament through this year. Stop at the Sync Center. Get a guide. You can easily catch up. We're still in Matthew. But yeah, that's all good stuff. That's internal growth. But the thing we don't think about is exterior growth. External growth. That is also a part of God's plan for shaping us as Christian people. We need private time with God, but we also need church. We need time with others. You say, I don't like people. I like dogs better than people. Here's the deal. Everybody likes dogs better than people. <laughs> Jesus tells us to love people. And that's hard. And it's something we have to choose to do. And so we got to get out there amongst them. We can't just monk out in our homes. we got to get out amongst people. When I was a young pastor, Jim Sloan was kind of the, the, the most successful pastor that I knew down in southern Illinois. And I kind of looked up to Jim a great deal. I kind of thought, man, I'd like to be like him when I grow up. And I couldn't wait to have a conversation with him about church. Because he had the biggest church of anybody down there at the time. And I just couldn't wait to talk church with him. Finally, I get an opportunity to, to get to talk to the great Jim Sloan. I said, Jim... Tell me about church. Tell me how you think about church. He looked at me and he goes, well, you got to get people together in big crowds. And then you got to give them a chance to talk to each other in small groups. And he walked off. And I thought, wow, was that disappointing. <laughs> There's an old story from baseball about Mike Schmidt, the great Philadelphia Philly Hall of Fame third baseman. Schmidt came up in about 73, a little overlap with Hank Aaron and and the story comes from an all-star game that an older Hank Aaron and a young Mike Schmidt played. And Aaron got to talk, or Schmidt got to talk to Aaron. Well, everything was just starting to happen back then where hitting was becoming a science and all of these various things. And, you know, back when they just started to turn baseball into an exercise in gratuitous mathematics. And so, so here they were, and, and Schmidt could not wait to talk to Aaron. So he finally gets alone with Aaron. He goes, Mr. Aaron, he was so excited. Can you talk to me about hitting? And Aaron looked at him and he said, uh, keep your eye on the ball and swing level. And he just walked off. Well, that's kind of how I felt with Jim, you know. But the reality is Jim was right. We want to make everything into rocket science. And sometimes things aren't all that hard. You want to grow in Christ, you need to be in worship. And you also need to be in Christian fellowship and in Christian community. Now, Christian fellowship doesn't mean that we'll put up with anyone no matter how badly they behave. It does not mean that. There is something called church discipline. And sometimes 
we have to talk to people. And sometimes we have to say, that's not going to work here. Sometimes you, if you lead a small group, maybe you're going to have to talk to somebody. There are eight people in this small group. You need to let some of them talk sometimes, right? I mean, there are times that we have to exercise church discipline. doesn't mean anything goes. It simply means that we invite people into our Christian community. It means that we're committed to loving each other and to growing together in Christ. And as we do, our fellowship keeps getting stronger and we keep getting closer to God. I've certainly been rebuked before and it hurts my feelings. You know, I get somebody says something or hate mail or something like that and I think, wow! And, and your temptation is always to dismiss it. But what I've kind of learned to do over the years, I, I have to ask myself, is there anything to this? Do they have a point in some way? You see, sometimes we want to say, well, everybody that criticizes us is wrong. Is there not a fraction, percentage of a possibility that we might be wrong? Maybe we need to up our game. Maybe... God's speaking to us that we need to grow up a bit. You know, if every time you get rebuked, you take your Bible and go home, you're not going to grow much in the Christian faith. You're just not going to grow much. You're not going to become a man or woman of God in the way that God has prepared for you. And as we grow in Christ... We also learn how to be a part of the Christian community. And as we learn to do that, we grow in Christ. Community is where we do life together. It's where we allow God to shape us through the process. It's where iron sharpens iron and blind spots are exposed. And where people will either have to choose pride in death or humility in life. A lot of people quit church Because they got their feelings hurt. They didn't feel like they got appreciated in the proper way or they didn't get their way. A lot of people quit being in a ministry because they get their feelings hurt. They didn't like the way something was done or this or that. And they just leave. I want to tell you there are good reasons to leave a church. There are good reasons to leave a ministry. There really are. Sometimes God calls us to different things and and different places. We we may not be aligned with the vision or the mission of a church anymore. There are really good reasons to leave a church, but I'm going to tell you this. There are no good reasons to stop going to church, and there's no good reasons to remove yourself from Christian community. Oswald Chambers wrote that God sometimes has to smash us to use us. And he wrote that sometimes like an unripened grape, We simply squirt out from underneath the thumb of God. And we do it over and over and over. And we end up dying a shell, a hint, an echo, or a rumor of what God created us to become. Because sometimes you just got to stay in it. And you got to work through it. And you got to stay at the table and let God do his work in the context of Christian community. A lot of people quit 
because they get their feelings hurt. I remember many years ago, I, at a different place, I was in a grocery store and I ran into a guy who was a member of our church. This guy had really been making a series of bad decisions in a small town and, and sort of dominated the local newspaper headlines. And uh, it was not great. And, but I just ran into him at the grocery store, like right in front of the Captain Crunch kind of thing, you know. And, and it, there was no way he could avoid me. And I thought it was awesome. So I'm standing there. I just smiled at him and said, hey, man, we sure missed you at church. <laughs> and then I just stand there because I'm really comfortable in awkward silence. And, and he just looked at me and he, he said, just, you can tell he's just fired up, right? I'll tell you what, I'm never going back to that church. Those people talk about me behind my back. They have hurt my feelings. I don't feel welcome there anymore. And I'm never going back to that church. I said, well, here's the deal, Captain. And anytime I say, here's the deal, Captain, something terrible is about to come out of my mouth. I said, here's the deal, Captain. If I quit church every time I got my feelings hurt, I would quit about six times a week. I'd quit about six times a week. People talk bad about me all the time. And unlike you, I'm not out there doing a bunch of dumb crap. We'd love to have you back. Isn't that the choice we sometimes have? We get our feelings hurt. Things didn't go our way. Things often aren't going to go our way. <laughs> you know, I hate it. You heard it here first. But things often aren't going to go our way. Things don't go my way. But we have a choice. We can go or we can grow. We can take our Bible and just go home. Push everybody else out. Stay away from everybody. Decide we're going to grow internally. But God does not intend us to grow specifically and uniquely internally. There's also external growth that happens in the life of a Christian. And if you read 1 Peter, it's all about that. Fellowship isn't just social. It's intensely spiritual. And learning to get along with other people is not just social. It's intensely spiritual. When the commitment to Christian community stops, we put a ceiling on our potential for growth in Christ. So here's what I'm going to say to you. If you're out because you've been hurt, and I, I don't say this with any sarcasm, I have been hurt. No doubt about it. Nobody's in the ministry as long as I have that's not been hurt. If you've been hurt, I want to suggest it's time to let it go. And it's time to re-engage. If you've gotten out of ministry because you've been hurt, I just want to suggest it's time to let it go. I don't know about you, but my worst 20 seconds of each day are the three times that I actually lose my phone. About seven seconds each. Worst 21 seconds of every single day is when I lose my phone. Sometimes my phone gets lost, but sometimes my phone just gets wonky. You, you guys ever get a phone that gets wonky? It just gets wonky. And, and, and the more you try to fix it, the worse things get. You know? And what I learned a long time ago, sometimes you just need to turn that phone off. You know, for as many seconds as you can bear without kind of going into tremors and stuff. <laughs> Turn it off. 
wait a little bit, and then turn it back on. And you know what happens to those phones? They kind of reboot themselves. Some of you just need to reboot. You need to stop trying to fix yourself. You just need to reboot. Let God take care of things. Repent. Dear God, stuff's happened to me. And God will say, are you aware stuff happened to Jesus? And we're thinking, well, it wasn't that bad what happened to me. And we need to repent for our own attitudes, for our own failure to grow, for our own part in things. I can't control what others say about me, but I can certainly control my relationship with God. And I can certainly get on my knees and I can repent and I can ask God to do his work in me. It's the only thing I've got control over. So maybe it's a good day to repent and to reboot and to get back in. I'm going to close with uh, five really quick opportunities of ways you can get back into Christian fellowship. One's really, really simple. Uh, Come to church a little earlier. Not only that, you'll be able to find a parking place. Come to church a little bit earlier and stay a little later. Uh, Use the cafe. Meet folks at the cafe. Say, hey, well, let's get to church about 15 minutes early and let's get something to drink. Let's, let's grab a stone, scone because if you get a scone, you're going to need something to drink. And so uh, let's, let's meet. Let's spend some time together after church. You see somebody that, that you know that you, you didn't even know attended here. Maybe they're a guest here for the first time and you know them from work. Hey, hey let's, grab, let's, let's grab a cup of coffee. Use that. It's a tool. Use it. Number two. Going deeper, uh, incredible worship service. It's word and it's worship. It's simple. We go verse by verse through entire books of the Bible. But we serve supper at 545. Come for supper. Come for supper and bring the family. They got, it's cheaper than anywhere else I know around here. And bring the family. We got kids stuff and just come and eat. Make some friends. Pull up some tables. Just fellowship with each other. Number three, find a class. We've got really good Sunday school classes. We've got small groups. We've got groups that meet in homes. Go by the sink center on your way out. Find out what we've got to offer and just get involved in one. You say, well, I'm not very comfortable doing that. Nobody's comfortable doing that. Nobody. Just do it. Because it's good. It's right. I remember a few years ago I was on a diet and I went into a restaurant and I said, I'm going to get fish. And they said, how would you like that prepared? I said, grilled. And this guy says to me, I like my fish fried. And I'm sitting there thinking, everybody likes their fish fried. (laughs) But I need grilled fish. You need to be in fellowship. Everybody's uncomfortable getting that thing started. You do, you may find the warm Christian community to grow in that God has for you. If you're in a small group, you see somebody, why don't you invite them to be a part of your small group? Why don't you offer that invitation? we got Sunday school classes that operate here. I mean, while you're already here, you can just stay for Sunday school. Different ages, different stages. Uh, Find out what we've got. Just stay. Get involved. I've talked to you about small groups and the final areas. Just find a ministry. It doesn't need to be something that we specifically do, but I can tell you this. We've got an army of volunteers that come to church at early church or late church and they volunteer with the children. 
We've got people that volunteer with our student ministries throughout the week. We've got people who volunteer to welcome and to greet and to be ushers and on our safety and security team. We've got gazillions of volunteers. Just find a ministry. We've got ministries that reach into Honduras. We've got ministries all over the Metro East that do all kinds of incredible things. We've got ministries that help people who don't have homes get into a home and furnish those homes. We've got incredible ministries here. Find out what they are. Get involved and be shaped by it. Is everything going to go your way when you get involved in a ministry? Guarantee it won't. You're going to get your feelings hurt. Almost certainly. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Let God do something in you as a result of being a part of Christian community. Fellowship gives us an opportunity to grow or to go. Sometimes going is the right thing to do. Many times growing is the right thing to do. Don't go before you ask yourself some very serious questions. Am I unhappy? That's the wrong question. The question is, is God trying to do something in my life that I'm fighting? And if it is, you stay. And you grow. And you let God's work be done in you. And that is how we become more like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, thank you that fellowship defined the early church. Not anything goes, but fellowship Iron sharpens iron. Blind spots exposed. People who love and care about each other and stay at the table even when it's hard. Thank you, dear God, for those people who've spoken truth to me throughout my life and ministry. For those people who've stayed with me and stayed at the table even when it was hard. Thank you, dear God, for your hand in all of our lives. And thank you for what you're doing now. So, dear God, if there's people here that just got hurt in their heart that's defining them, I want to pray that you'd give them the grace to let it go. In the name of Jesus, let it go. Just say it right now. In the name of Jesus, I let it go. Let's say that together. In the name of Jesus, I let it go. Let it go in the name of Jesus. It's not doing you any good. It will only hurt you. It'll only bring you down. Let it go in the name of Jesus. We let our disappointments go. We let our hurt go. We let our bitterness go. We let our desire for revenge or retribution go. We let everything go in our lives that does not reflect the nature and the character and the image of Christ. Jesus, do your work in us. And if it's painful, okay. Because our heart's desire is to be like Jesus. Thank you for the gift of Christian community and the gift of fellowship. May we learn to use it well as we connect people with Jesus in whose strong name we pray, amen. Need a miracle in your life? Need a few? Grab a stone representing each miracle. Let it remind you to pray. Come back and celebrate and you will be surprised at all God so much wants to do in your life when we just ask. Let's stand and worship together.